welcome to Afternoon Light, the podcast of the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. I'm Georgina Downer and I'm the host of Afternoon Light and the CEO of the Robert Menzies Institute. The Institute is a Prime Ministerial Library and Museum devoted to upholding the legacy and vision of Sir Robert Menzies, Australia's longest serving Prime Minister. On Afternoon Light, we explore contemporary issues relevant to Sir Robert's life and legacy with leading thinkers from around the world. Thank you for joining us today. Well, welcome. And today we are speaking to David First Roberts about his new book, God and Menzies. And David is a research fellow at the Menzies Research Centre. He holds a PhD in history from the University of New South Wales and has written and edited several books, including Howard, The Art of Persuasion and Menzies, Forgotten People. And I thought it was interesting to start off our discussion, David, by um, I observed when when doing a little bit of research about you that your favourite quote from Menzies was a quote from 1951 and he said, democracy is neither accidental nor inevitable. It is the product of generations of self-sacrifice, of conscious struggle, of belief in the vital significance of individual men and women, of a sense of a divine order in a distracted human world. Well, what a way to start a discussion of God and Menzies, David. (laughs) Well, thank you, Georgina. And can I first say that it's a great uh, honour to be with you as part of this wonderful new Afternoon Light podcast series and... um, Thank you for having me on this morning. So, yes, with the um, quote that I chose, I um, thought that it encapsulated Menzies' worldview. It affirmed his belief in the intrinsic um, value of every man and woman as um, people who are precious. And it also um, underscored his belief in democracy and how democracy is something that has evolved over many hundreds of years through uh, human trial and error and human ingenuity. And it also um, mentioned uh, divine order, which spoke to Menzies' own belief in God as um, the creator and the sustainer of the universe and how God provides a great anchor in a world that is often in turmoil and chaos and Menzies sees God as this great um, pillar of um, stability, a rock amidst the rapids, you could say. Oh, that's that's uh, very, very well put. I, um, I thought we might start off our discussion by um, starting off at the beginning of Menzies' life and, and trying to unpack what it was about Menzies' family that shaped his religious beliefs. He he was the son of two Presbyterians, James and Kate Menzies. Um, he he grew up, or at least in the early, very early part of his life, grew up in Western Victoria, in a little town called Japarat. And despite his parents being Presbyterians, there wasn't a Presbyterian church, was there, in Japarat? So they they joined the Methodist Church, of which there was one. And uh, and James Menzies was um, was uh, Robert Menzies' father was a devout man and became a lay preacher in that church. But 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 his his family life was was steeped in Bible reading and was was quite a, a I'd say an observant, if not strict. 
Presbyterian slash Methodist family life, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. So um, James Menzies, um, with his wife Kate, uh, settled in Japarat, as you uh, directly referred to, and they, of course, um, imbibed Menzies with um, the seeds of faith. The staples in their uh, humble home were the um, Pilgrim's Progress, the uh, authorised version of the Bible and um, other sort of uh, Christian books and the Presbyterian hymnal. And um, Menzies was sort of um, introduced to these and um, also his uh, grandmother, who was his paternal grandmother, so it was Grandma Menzies, he stayed with sometimes in Ballarat and she was also a devout Presbyterian and as punishment it's believed that um, she would get her grandson Robert to write out large chunks of the Bible. Oh, goodness. What what did he do to deserve um, this punishment? (laughs) Well, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) He he was obviously probably very um, determined and... uh, probably uh, very um, set in his opinions. And um, I remember reading a little biography of Menzies that said he had an opinion just about everything. (laughs) And so uh, he might have given her a piece of his mind at times. And so he was punished. And uh, it's believed that that's how he acquired such a high level of biblical literacy, um, from those early days of having to write out scripture. Well, uh, at least there was a benefit after all that effort. Um, Do you think Menzies was particularly devout as a Christian? I had a discussion the other day, very, very luckily and happily, with um, Sir Robert's daughter, Heather Henderson, and she she queried whether he was indeed particularly devout. He he certainly certainly was a, a believer. He was... His childhood was imbued with Presbyterian values and and the Christian faith and obviously Christian scripture through the the Bible writing, endless Bible writing and reading. But in terms of his day-to-day life, was that something that you think um, was a a strong feature of it? Yes, and that's a great question because um, we do wonder what his faith was like in practice and uh, as you allude to, it was... um, furnished very um, profoundly with a Christian worldview uh, from the Bible and um, he obviously knew his scripture. As to the day-to-day exercise of his faith, I don't think that he was necessarily pious in the sense of um, being a uh, strictly um, observant Christian in everyday life in terms of saying grace before meals or um, having times of prayer and family devotions. But I do know that he was a regular Bible reader. That was something that he um, developed, first of all, in his childhood from his parents, but it was also reinforced during his university days when he came into contact with an evangelical um, Anglican uh, preacher by the name of C.H. Nash. He was actually the founder of the Melbourne Bible Institute and it was through him that um, 
he was impressed with the importance of regularly reading the Bible because C.H. Nash said to him famously that the Bible contains everything I need to know about Christ and his plan for me. And, in fact, when Menzies crossed paths with uh, Nash many years later, I think when he was Prime Minister, he actually recalled those words that Nash said to him in his youth. So he was a, a regular Bible reader. He knew scripture thoroughly and um, his speeches were just peppered with biblical aphorisms and metaphors and turns of phrase. But his church going, I think, was sporadic at times. He went regularly, of course, as a child growing up in Japarit, but um, when he sort of relocated to Melbourne to undertake his university studies and then to go to the uh, bar, his um, church going very much ebbed and flowed as uh, his career took hold and as he um, started raising his family. Uh, they did occasionally attend a church, um, I think it might have been in West Hawthorne, a Presbyterian church, but uh, whether he went every Sunday is uncertain and so um, it's true that his church going was a bit um, spasmodic at times, but I believe that his faith uh, remained a constant. And the other thing to note about Menzies' early early life is that um, when he went to uh, Melbourne University, I think it was in um, 1913 to study law, he became involved in a group called the Melbourne University Student Christian Union. And this was founded as a sort of mainline Protestant student group that attracted people from all Protestant denominations. And Menzies was involved to the extent that he actually served as president of the uh, Melbourne University Christian Union in 1916. And so um, what was distinctive about this Christian group was that um, it taught students a Bible and about the gospel of Jesus, but it also impressed upon them the importance of uh, contributing to public life, bringing Christian values to bear into the public sphere and contributing to the common good of the nation mm. and serving the community. And I think they were ideals that stayed with Menzies for life. Yeah, well, he was incredibly active at, at Melbourne University as a student there, wasn't he, as well, being president of the, the student union and an editor of the Melbourne University magazine. So all those all those aspects of his student life would have prepared him well for a life in public office. I wanted to ask you about then how his Christian faith shaped his understanding of, of freedom. He He seems to have been very much uh, concerned with the spirit of the word rather than the letter of the word in the in the Bible and has a concept of freedom that talks to responsibility and duty, which I think comes out of a, of a strong Christian faith and foundation. But how do you see it, David, in, um, in the, the influence of Menzies' Christian faith on his concept of freedom, which was so very essential to, of course, his his overarching political philosophy. Yes. Well, I think that there was an interplay of two sort of um, currents, a, a political 
and a religious or theological one. And taking the political one first, Menzies was very much um, steeped in the old British uh, Whig liberalism, which could be traced right back to the uh, 17th century liberal philosopher John Locke, who uh, spoke about social contract theory and uh, the rights and obligations of um, individuals in society. And importantly, um, Locke also spoke of religious toleration. And there we see the roots sort of of that liberal tradition of uh, religious freedom, according religious freedom to uh, everybody of every faith. Locke in his time didn't extend religious freedom to necessarily every faith, but it was a principle that evolved over time and was developed. And anyhow, um, this Whig liberal tradition later on was uh, championed by the likes of uh, Edmund Burke, the great um, 18th century Anglo-Irish statesman, and also um, Thomas Babington Macaulay, the famous um, 19th century Whig historian, and also the... um, the great liberal um, British Prime Minister, William Gladstone, who um, served as Prime Minister multiple times in the 19th century. And this liberal tradition, I guess, uh, for Menzies, gave him a, um, a strong ideal of human freedom. This liberal tradition was infused with strongly Christian values and ideals, and this was especially evident in its commitment to humane social reform with its support for uh, the Factory Acts and um, other ameliorative measures that um, helped the poor and improved the living standards of people and uh, gave them greater dignity and personal freedom. So there was that liberal tradition that was infused with Christian principles. Now, turning now to the... uh, religious spiritual limb, I think that um, Menzies' freedom was also steeped in um, a lot of Methodist uh, thinking as well. Even though Menzies identified as a Presbyterian, uh, he was shaped, I believe, profoundly by Methodism, and he esteemed John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, as one of the immortals of the 18th century, And he uh, credited Menzies for breathing life into the uh, Church of England in the 18th century. It was um, Wesley's theology of free will that Menzies probably found very attractive. So um, in contrast, perhaps, to the more Calvinist streams of Protestantism, uh, Wesley preached a theology of free will that emphasised the freedom for people to either follow God or reject God. And this was a freedom that uh, God gave humanity to either follow him or ignore him. And Menzies believed that uh, freedom as such was a divine gift from God the creator. And um, the other important idea of uh, Methodism that Menzies imbibed was this notion of human progress under God, that um, human beings could um, become more and more like God or more and more like Christ, and that's something that Christians refer to as holiness. And so Menzies believed that we could um, both individually and collectively uh, progress 
by following God and Christ in the Bible, we could progress and we could become better people. And as a result, we could build a better society and a better civilization and one that would be freer and freer. And that's what uh, Menzies imbibed from uh, the Wesleyan tradition of Methodism. And, of course, picking up on that, David, Robert Menzies attended a Methodist school in, in Wesley, the, the school in Melbourne, in his high school years uh, on a scholarship because of his academic hard work and, and brilliance, but he was a particularly hard worker. So that type of influence too would have, would have been strong on him through his, through his formative years. I wanted to talk to you about Menzies' Forgotten People speeches, the, the broadcasts he made in, in 1942 and 43 when he was in the political wilderness. After failing as Prime Minister the first time, he, he spent some time thinking thinking through what his political philosophy actually was. And of course, these Forgotten People broadcasts formed the foundation of his new Liberal Party's political philosophy and, and ideology. And the uh, and of course the manifesto they would take to the forty six and then forty nine election forty nine being a successful one for them, but in the forgotten people speeches um, there are some definite turns of phrase that that speak to his Christian faith and his Bible reading and and learnings. He speaks of home spiritual um, when he's talking about the different aspects of, of, a, of an individual's life. He certainly places a lot of emphasis on the, the sort of middle-class Protestant social values, personal integrity, thrift, industry, domestic propriety and community service. Uh, how do you see his, his Christian faith influencing this forgotten people ideology, for want of a better turn of phrase? Yes, well, I think it had a profound influence, as you uh, rightly appreciate. And um, it was particularly evident, I think, in um, two of his speeches that were part of that 27 speech series, which became known as the Forgotten People and Other Studies in Democracy. And so um, in one of his speeches, he talked about the nature of democracy and um, uh, a famous line from that speech was that he said, um, democracy is not a machine, it is a spirit, and it is based on the Christian conception that um, every human being is equal in the sight of God. And so that uh, spoke to uh, what Christians call the Imago Dei, I guess, meaning image of God. So we're all created in God's likeness and image and there's an equality, there's an implied equality that because we are all created in God, we're all equal before God, whatever our race or our gender or our station in life, we are all equal before God. And that was um, a bedrock um, doctrine of Menzies' worldview. And in that speech on the nature of democracy, he also um, spoke about the need for citizens to um, not only care about their own rights, but also about their responsibilities and their obligations to others. And he said that in the wise language of the Bible, 
being a good citizen is about um, preferring others to ourselves. And so that was his Christian worldview coming through in when he spoke about the nature of democracy and then turning to, of course, his most famous speech in that series called The Forgotten People, which was delivered on the 27th of May, 1942. And that also was infused with um, Christian values. He um, spoke about uh, thrift and um, personal responsibility and also the idea of contributing to society, not just being takers but also givers, not just um, leaners but also lifters, people who can uh, contribute to society and make a positive difference. And that was uh, shaped very much by um, traditional Protestant values that were informed by um, Calvinism And also there was much in that speech that uh, would have resonated with um, other Christian traditions, including Catholicism, where he affirmed the importance of family and of home life and um, of dependence upon God. And his famous line from this speech was that human nature is at its greatest when it combines dependence upon God with the independence of man. And... um, So these speeches, as well as um, articulating his liberal philosophy, very much channel Christian thought, stretching back many centuries, back to to biblical times. Thank you, David. I I wanted to pick up on a a point you made about his forgotten people speeches, um, speaking to not just Protestant Christians, but, but Catholic Christians as well, because a real feature of, of the Menzies era was his his particular anti-sectarianism. Uh, so in the early, I'd say the sort of the first first half, even even beyond of Australian of Australian Federation, sectarianism was a was a strong feature of of Australian life. Um, there were um, nasty incidents between Protestants and Catholics, and uh, and Menzies coming from a, a strong Protestant family would have potentially fallen quite easily into a, a sectarian point of view, but he, but he didn't, which was, which was really interesting. He said, sectarian strife is the enemy of freedom of worship, not its friend. And in, in his policies as well, he, he made sure that he would not have a, a sectarian worldview, a, a sectarian policy agenda. Why do you think this was? Was it linked to his views on from John Locke of, of freedom of religion. It certainly wasn't something that he had been taught. Um, there's, a, there's an incident where he attends a, um, I think it's a, a Catholic event in his electorate in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne in the 1930s and his, his family is appalled that he has attended this Catholic event and they criticise him for it, and he he rebukes them, and and is quite clear that he's he's attending because he's the member of that of that area, the local representative, and he should represent all people, irrespective of whether they're Protestants or Catholics or or, or, or not a Christian at all. And it's it's quite a quite a progressive, quite a liberal um, point of view, and quite different for someone of his generation and his upbringing, isn't it? Yes, indeed. So. Um Yes, again, you rightly um, 
touch on many of the um, factors that may have contributed to his broad anti-sectarian worldview. Yeah, I think there are a couple of important things. Um, first of all, in Japarat, where he grew up, the denominational barriers, I think, were rather fluid. Just the fact that um, Menzies' father could switch from a Presbyterian to a Methodist church. And so um, the uh, traditional denominational walls, if you like, were not as pronounced as they may have been in other parts of Australia. And also um, going to Melbourne University, the uh, Melbourne University Student Christian Union was very broad and ecumenical in outlook. True, it was um, largely a Protestant movement, but um, it uh, would have fostered a more um, open attitude to other Christian traditions like um, Catholicism and Orthodoxy and so on. And um, yes, also... um, his liberal worldview, of course, um, would have contributed to his outlook of religious toleration, going right back, of course, to John Locke. But um, also in colonial Australia, I find that uh, Menzies reminded me very much of a um, of an earlier great Australian liberal of colonial New South Wales, and that was um, Governor Richard Burke, who served as Governor of New South Wales during the... Um, 1830s and 1820s and um, Richard Burke was um, a sort of Whig liberal. He was actually related to Edmund Burke as well. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, their names had slightly different spellings. He was a Burke with an O, (laughs) but he was apparently a distant cousin of uh, Edmund Burke's. Um, They had that common Irish um, ancestry. And so um, Richard Burke um, in colonial New South Wales, which was also uh, racked by sectarian tensions and divisions, adopted a sort of broad toleration of different uh, Christian denominations. And there were, of course, squabbles over um, funding for church schools and other institutions between Catholics and the Protestant denominations And so Burke passed what was called the Church Act to put all um, Christian denominations on an equal footing. And um, he believed essentially that um, Catholics and Protestants were um, different branches but of the same Christian trunk with its root in Jesus Christ. And so he uh, had that broad uh, Christian outlook, uh, which Menzies similarly had as a uh, 20th century liberal um, who was very much uh, in the footsteps of uh, Richard Burke. And, and David, I, I want to pick up on, on that tradition then of, of, of someone who has anti-sectarian views then implementing public policy that reflects that, that anti-sectarianism. One of the last decisions that Menzies made, but lasting in its huge legacy in 1964, so two years before his retirement, he made a decision that the Commonwealth Government would fund non-government schools and uh, it was called State Aid for Schools. It was quite a a revolution in in the the change of the funding mix for, for school education in Australia. Up until then, schools had been funded by 
the state governments and then if they were non-government schools they'd been funded by the the particular churches or private private enterprises private citizens who who wanted to support an independent school so this was now the the federal government stepping in to support the non-government school sector and this was particularly important for the catholic systemic education system uh, where I guess it was with the baby boom of the 50s, you had uh, an enormous amount of, of young children being born and, and needing to be educated and, uh, and the Catholic schools, as, as with, the, with the state schools as well, but the Catholic schools were, were overflowing and their facilities were in disrepair. There's some extraordinary um, <laughs> anecdote in, um, in the Menzies, uh, the Howard on Menzies documentary where... Uh, John Howard goes and visits a school in, I think it was in um, in Ballarat, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. And the, there was an incident over this particular Catholic school, the toilet block being in complete disrepair. The Catholic, the Catholic, um, <laughs> it was a Goulburn. Oh, thank you. That they, they basically the, the the school administration decided the school could no longer function, and so the the Catholic kids were then sent to the state schools. And uh, weren't treated very well, I must say, according to the interview with one of the one of the former students. So, this is a revolution in the way the non-government sector is funded. The Catholic schools are funded; they're going to be funded appropriately and with the support of the Commonwealth government. That was because partly Menzies valued the the freedom of parents to choose the education of their kids, but the freedom of Catholic parents to choose the freedom of Protestant parents choose the freedom of atheist parents to choose where their kids would go to school. Yes, of course. And uh, Menzies was very far-sighted. In, as early as the 1940s, he had uh, sort of intimated his support for some kind of state aid whereby um, the parents of pupils going to independent schools would be duly supported because he understood that um, such parents contributed taxes to the funding of the public schools. But in return, their, uh, the private schools that they sent their children to got no government support or funding whatsoever. And um, so he recognised that this was a very poor return for the parents of uh, independent schools, especially the large numbers of, um, of those uh, pupils and families in Catholic schools. And so this was a um, an injustice and an anomaly he was determined to uh, remedy and eventually he did in 1964. And he uh, believed that it was just a matter of justice for um, these independent schools that um, the families had put so much into in terms of uh, support with school fees and other fundraising that they should be uh, supported by government taxes that they themselves had have contributed to in, in their capacity as taxpayers. And so um, it was um, the remedying of a long-standing injustice, as John Howard rightly appreciated, when he spoke of uh, Menzies' decision to grant state aid in 1964. And, and David, moving away from Christianity, um, but still, of course, on the topic of God and Menzies, what about the, the Jewish community 
in in Australia and, and Menzies' relationship with it, um, particularly in in Melbourne and Sydney, but but even but particularly in Melbourne where Menzies was from, there was a significant Jewish community, and he was quite a welcome guest at at um, many cultural and community events with the Jewish community. He was a good friend of the Jewish community um, and a friend of 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 course Israel, most important for the Jewish community. How how did that relationship? Um, develop and, and manifest? Yes, well, um, Menzies, of course, esteemed the um, Old Testament roots of Christianity and so he had this excellent rapport with um, Australia's Jewish community as he really valued the uh, Jewish tradition and its remarkable contribution to both um, Australia and the Western world. And as you touched on, Menzies would have had early interactions with Jews who were already a visible presence in uh, Melbourne and Victoria, really from the uh, 19th century. And um, when Menzies attended um, even Wesley College, uh, there would have been Jewish students there and um, certainly at the University of Melbourne. And also as he um, moved into the legal fraternity during his years at the Melbourne Bar, he would have crossed paths with many uh, Jews who were active in the legal profession. And indeed, that was where he forged one of his closest relationships uh, with a young uh, Jewish barrister called uh, Maurice Tashkanasi, whom he mentored at the bar. So um, Maurice Tashkanasi read in Menzies' chambers when uh, Maurice Ashkenazi himself was uh, studying to become a barrister. And uh, so he had that uh, mentorship from Menzies and Menzies uh, maintained a lifelong uh, friendship with uh, Ashkenazi. And um, when uh, Menzies saw Ashkenazi succeed in his own right, he remarked that... uh, the apple did not fall far, far from the tree. <laughs> well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, Menzies also enjoyed close relationships with other key figures, including um, Sir Israel Brody and um, Rabbi uh, Sanger as well, who were prominent uh, leaders in the Melbourne Jewish community. And... Um, He also knew Justice Isaac Isaacs, who uh, served on the High Court and was eventually appointed as Australia's first Jewish and Australia's first Australian-born Governor-General in uh, 1930. And um, Menzies, of course, was um, a very strong supporter of uh, the establishment of Israel, which had been um, established in 1947 with the support of the then Chifley Labor government and uh, Doc Evatt, uh, the uh, external affairs minister. And uh, Menzies, of course, uh, gave the recognition and the establishment of Israel full bipartisan support. And he praised the creation of Israel really as a... um, as almost a gesture of world repentance for the uh, appalling... uh, mistreatment of Jews through the Holocaust and of the Second World War and also through previous centuries as well. And so he saw this as a wonderful new chapter 
for the uh, Jewish people of the world. And he also was a strong uh, opponent of anti-Semitism. He stood strongly with the Jews against um, anti-Semitic attacks and he constantly affirmed that uh, Jews were good citizens of Australia and uh, in his support for Australia's post-war immigration scheme, uh, he welcomed many new uh, Jewish immigrants from uh, post-war Europe, especially from Poland and Hungary and uh, Austria and other areas that had been um, war-torn from uh, Nazi occupation and um, he really welcomed them as uh, valuable new citizens and he, um, of course, also esteemed the great Jewish festivals of Rosh Hashanah and um, Jewish New Year and the great themes of atonement and forgiveness that he also saw as integral to uh, Christianity and he admired the Jewish community for its sense of uh, family and kinship, of uh, responsibility to one another, and of its great contribution to Australia in all fields of endeavour and in uh, public and professional life generally. Yes, and I guess given his uh, uh, extensive reading of the Bible in his formative years, that, that sense of shared heritage between Christianity and Judaism would have been very strong for him um, from the Old Testament readings. I wanted to go to the completely other side um, of, of God and Menzies, and that was uh, of, of, a, of ideologies without God, without religion, and in particular communism, and ask you how Menzies' Christian faith and his and his belief in uh, in in that Christian faith as as defining a society and a democratic society, giving that define order in a distracted world, as he said, how he then construed communism, which which of course preached a, a materialist society, one with without God, an ultra secular. I mean, he was a he was an avowed enemy of communism. He tried to to ban the party in 1950 when he failed to do that because the High Court had overturned that. He then he then tried to change the constitution through a referendum in order to give the the Commonwealth power to ban the Communist Party. Again, again that failed. The Australian people uh, de- decided not to change the constitution on that occasion, as they have done on most occasions when it comes to changing the constitution. He didn't like communism for for many reasons, um, but but this this uh, materialist aspect of communism must have really jarred with him. He he rejected that, didn't he, David? Yes, he did. I mean, the first thing to say is, well, what was Menzies' view as views of uh, people that were non-believers? And the first thing to establish is that um, he fully accepted their. Uh, their full rights in civil society. Um, he famously said in his um, speech on freedom of religion that there are many great and noble people that have been unable to find a God. Are we to deny their place in society? Of which his answer would be an emphatic no. And he therefore believed that agnostics, atheists, or naturalistic skeptics, whoever did not follow the Christian God or any other deity where um, should be fully respected as citizens and had a, um, there was accommodation for them in civil society as there was for everybody else. Now, personally, he found um, 
atheism, of course, to be a disagreeable um, philosophy. Uh, he, he regarded it as a gloomy sort of worldview that had no understanding of um, God and his love for humanity through Christ. So Menzies um, therefore opposed communism on spiritual grounds as well as on um, political, economic and national security grounds as well. And what he uh, objected to strongly in communism was its belief in dialectical materialism, which really uh, he saw as negating the essential spiritual dimension to human beings that um, he believed was taught by the Bible and by great Christian thinkers, including um, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and John Calvin. And so um, communism was... um, intrinsically at odds with the Christian worldview. And he also recognised that um, where communism had taken root, especially in Soviet Russia, that it had led to the um, mass persecution of uh, Christians and Jews and Muslims and others of religious faith. And um, so uh, communism, of course, for him was the enemy of religious freedom and... um, He um, recognised, of course, that communist moral principles were antithetical to uh, the Christian values of um, marriage and family and um, the sanctity of human life and the importance of the individual uh, because communism emphasised collectivism and the state and that was to the detriment of our basic human dignity and our individual self-worth. And I guess in the end that was the essence of it, that that uh, Menzies' brand of, of Christianity, his belief system, his political philosophy were founded in the, in the inherent dignity of the individual and, uh, and the individual's efforts to progress him or herself um, through life and, and that was... Uh, an anathema to the communist ideology and, of course, to, to Menzies' worldview. David, author of God and Menzies, thank you so much for joining us today on Afternoon Light. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and understand more deeply uh, Menzies' Christian faith, the influence that had on on his political thinkings and uh, and his policy decisions too that legacy of which we we still feel today so thank you very much david first roberts it's been great to have you on the show well thank you so much georgina it's been a delight um to be uh, with you today and um i just want to commend you for this outstanding um afternoon light podcast series with the uh, robert menzies institute and i wish it every success thank you The Afternoon Life podcast is brought to you by the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. You can find more about the Institute and our podcast at robertmenziesinstitute.org.au. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook and LinkedIn. We look forward to you joining our show next week. Thank you.